Welcome to the Better Together Podcast. Here, you'll find inspiring and enlightening podcasts brought to you by our MDS ARG pods. ARGs, associate resource groups, strive to explore, highlight, and share the wide breadth of experience of our BD colleagues, their families, and their communities. This episode was recorded in April, which is Autism Awareness Month. The following is an open and important conversation between BD colleagues and their family members across the globe as they discuss their personal experiences with autism. For more, here's Joe Balin. Hello and welcome to the Better Together podcast. My name is Joe Balin. I'm excited today to have a couple special guests on the podcast. Um, this podcast is brought to you by the Limitless ARG Pod and our MDS Associate Resource Groups. And this is a really special podcast for me, um, as well as my special guest and special co-host today, Fido Willibaro. Fido, um, welcome to the podcast. Hi, Joe. It's great to have you here. And this is special for both of us because today we have our sisters joining us. And both our sisters are amazing individuals and we'll introduce them in a second but it is the autism awareness month and we have our special guests jen balen and nina williborough maidu so jen and nina welcome to the podcast thank you joe thank you we're really excited to have you both and we want to give a little background on on who you are because we just are not having a podcast just to have our sisters on so we can get that quality time in place uh so we don't have to call later in the week and talk this is uh this is an important subject and one you are both experts at but i'll introduce my sister and then fido if you want to introduce your sister jen is and i'll start it off with the most recent tom's river teacher of the year for her work with special needs children. Jen also has an autistic son, Hunter, my nephew, who she has raised uh, through the years and um, done an amazing job and just an amazing person. And we're excited to to hear the story. And then Fido, do you want to introduce Nina? Yeah, uh, Nina is my lovely sister. She's the uh, founder of a nonprofit called Mione that's really focused on raising awareness on autism in Africa and truly across the, the globe. Uh, an amazing person as well. She has a son, my lovely nephew, Louis Christophe, uh, that also is on the spectrum. And I have personally gotten to learn a lot about autism, passion, and the journey. So I'm excited to, uh, to be here and have the opportunity to actually learn and hear from both Jan and Nina today. Great. And we're really excited to have you both. And one of the things we want to highlight as we go through this conversation is Jen is in the United States and Nina um, is more globally um, <laughs> now living in Dubai, correct? And and but uh, coming uh, via Africa. It's correct. And we wanted to really highlight some of the similarities and differences globally. Um, as we know, or many people know, and I think it's important to point out, in the United States, it's about one out of 59, one out of 60 children in the U.S. are affected by autism spectrum disorder. Globally, it's one in 160. 
And currently, there is really no medical detection for autism. And we'll go through this, but, you know, this being Autism Awareness Month, we thought it'd be great to bring you guys together and have this conversation and really hopefully bring more awareness to those who listen to the podcast. So with that being said, Nina, I want to start with you and really give us an introduction of of yourself and really your passion for autism awareness and where that came from. Mm -hmm. Okay, thank you. So my name is Nina. I am married and um, like Fido was just saying, I have, we have a 13 year old boy who is on the spectrum and we are originally from the Central African Republic and currently we live in Dubai. So I have a background in press and public relations, which led me to work in the past for the United States, United Nations for nearly 10 years. And right now I am a full-time mom who founded a non-profit organization called Nione Initiative. So this foundation was born in Kenya almost four years ago, uh, where I used to live for seven years. And um, Nione Initiative advocates for the inclusion of people with autism uh, in the community at large, but also in places of worship. And uh, we do this advocacy through awareness and training session. And um, April being the month of autism awareness, it's always very exciting to me, as you can imagine, because it is the opportunity for me as a mom, but also as an advocate to bombard, <laughs> to bombard as much as possible people with information um, <clears throat> about the condition of my son. And the reason why I think it's important to spread awareness is because I wish for people to get to understand what autism is and therefore then know how to treat and to cater people with autism needs. So that's how I will introduce myself. <laughs> Excellent. And Jen, would you do an intro of yourself as well? Sure, absolutely. Um, thank you for having me, Joe and uh, Fado. I, 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 love, I love what you're doing to create the awareness. Um, for me, um, my son Hunter is kind of what got me into this field and um, creating awareness. Um, you know, Hunter's 25, so 25 years ago, that's when awareness was just starting. And to be part of that um, was something that, you know, we got our families involved in doing. Um, I am also a teacher, as Joe had mentioned earlier, and I do work with self-contained autism. And Hunter was really the drive for me for that. And that's why I got in the field, because there wasn't enough awareness to create good programs to educate um, these children. And that was my drive. And that's why I'm doing what I do today and uh, continue to advocate and continue to create awareness and most of all, um, provide an appropriate education for these kids. Excellent. I think when Fido and I were talking, it was, it spawned on us. We just started to have a conversation organically and he was telling me about his sister and it'd be great to do a podcast with her and and as he was talking to me and telling me, Nina, your story, I said, 
you know, I have a sister who's who I think has a very similar story. And for us to find two people in really different parts of the world with the same passion for autism awareness and and having a lot of similarities of what you went through and differences, we thought what better way than to bring everyone together and and talk about it, how this affects not just one area of a country or one segment, but it it, it stretches across the globe and the world. So Nina, how did yes. you first discover, you know, your son had autism and and when was that and how did you you know with there not being really a definitive you know medical detection of autism yeah so first of all um i have heard about autism but i didn't know what it was at all of course just like a lot of us we i saw the the movie rain man but I didn't have a clear understanding, or I couldn't even give the definition of what autism uh, was. So what got me to seek help was more of a speech delay, because at three years old, he wasn't, he wasn't talking. And then uh, when he reached four years old, it was, it, he was still not nonverbal. So we went at that time um, in a pediatric hospital in Nairobi, in Kenya, and he was four years at the time. And that's when we received the diagnosis. And uh, like I said just previously, although I didn't know what was autism, but just hearing the doctor telling me your son has autism was just like a bombshell. I remember falling on my, falling on my knees and just crying, thinking that it would be the end of the world. My son wouldn't have life. To me, Autism resonated with something very bad, <laughs> although I didn't know what it was really. So that's how um, I discovered my son's diagnosis when he was four years old in Nairobi, in Kenya. Yeah. And Jen, what about Hunter? I know from our conversations and you know being part of your life, it was it was early it was early on. And I think having a background in, in special needs probably helped you understand a little quicker. Yeah, absolutely, Joe. Um, with Hunter's diagnosis, he was diagnosed at 22 months of age, but I didn't notice signs very early on and more so at his first birthday. Um, he had a few words when he was a toddler and then he lost them dramatically. And um, I observed him being the teacher in me. I think I just, you know, I was observing, dissecting everything, watching every move that he did. And, you know, where there's not, you know, it's through observation where you get a diagnosis. I think Hunter hit every um, mark on the, um, I think the DSM-5 manual um, for diagnosing. Um, so that's how I was aware. So he did get an early diagnosis at 22 months of age. And again, he's, to this day, he's nonverbal. I think something that stuck out in talking to both of you um, was mother's intuition, gut feeling. And mm -hmm. Jen, do you want to talk a little bit about that? Yeah, Joe, when you're talking about like gut feeling as a mother and, and a mother's intuition, I mean, we definitely 
as a mother, you need to go with what your first instinct is, because especially with Hunter, I knew like early on there was something wrong. I think it like, you know, he wasn't napping. He was up all night and, you know, he just was on the go all the time, even at a, at a early, early age. And, you know, I would observe him and I would write down my observations that I was seeing. He was, you know, drawing lines in the carpet, um, tracing like etched bottles with his finger, lining things up, not giving me eye contact. Um, you know, the first thing is, is that you think there's something wrong with their hearing. So we ruled that out. Um, and you know, when we finally got the diagnosis, um, I remember the neurologist back then saying, what do you think the problem is? So that's how much the awareness was just starting because even the neurologist was like, you know, didn't want to come out and say to me that your son has autism. And I said, well, I think he has autism. And he said, well, you're right. So, you know, back then, I, it was it was very touchy to say that. And I think because it was such a spectrum disorder as well, you didn't know where he was going to be on the spectrum as he grew, you know, because some kids start to come out of it a little bit more and show progress a little quicker, where Hunter would make progress, but it was very, very slow. So my gut was that he was autistic. My gut was correct. And I've been advocating ever since. And Nina, what about from your perspective in terms of that understanding? I mean, you notice things weren't what they, at least in in societal norms, should be that you said there's something else going on here. Well, to me, it might it might sound funny, but once again, um, like the red flags to me was really the, the the lack of speech or the delay of speech. And Louis Christophe being my firstborn, I wasn't, I didn't really think that him, for example, being an hyperactive boy was a problem because unfortunately in our family, we are all hyperactive. I mean, Fido is hyperactive. <laughs> so, so like him being hyperactive, not wanting to, to nap, um, wasn't a red flag to me. The most worrying thing was really the delay of speech or lack of speech. But also I could just see that there was something which I couldn't name that was making him not like being a happy boy. So to me, it was, can we find a solution for my son to be able to, to talk? And at that time when he was having meltdown, I thought it was just being caused uh, by him being frustrating, frustrated uh, because he was nonverbal. But I had no clue that it could be something named autism. Because again, um, autism to me equaled something very devastating and bad. Yeah. Hey, Jen, can you maybe educate us or talk us through when you think about the education of your son or even the education and you're actually a teacher, can you talk to us through maybe some of the challenges um, that you faced personally, um, as well as how you've actually um, 
Yeah, what you would recommend people uh, to do when it comes to educating the kids with uh, autism? Right. Um, yeah, I mean, education is a big thing, even when they're in school age as well as into adulthood. It continues through their lifetime. Um, you know, again, creating awareness is so important because back in the day, there weren't the programs that we have currently today to help educate these students with autism and these children. Um, so for me, it was big in order for my son to get an appropriate education, I felt the drive to be able that I needed to help him and help others because I felt like there were not um, enough good educators in the field doing the right things for the children. Um, you know, especially when you're dealing with behavior. I found that, you know, when Hunter was in the public school back, you know, 20 years ago, I would go in and observe and they would use things like weighted vest or he would request the bathroom or he'd be screaming and they would be taking him for walks when in reality, all they were doing was reinforcing the behavior. Um, you know, so it's important for these kids to be, you know, depending on where they are on the spectrum, but that ABA based program where things are broken down and everything is worked on behaviorally and positive reinforcement and timers and visual schedules. That's that's what my life I, is and what we live by um, here in my household and as well as my classroom. Um, I think parents need to advocate. Um, you know, they need to make sure that the individualized education plan says exactly what they wanted to say and that they are part of the team. I know as a teacher as well that I include my parents and if there's something specific that they want, um, then we put it in. I think that we need to work together. Um, I know for me, Early on, it was important that I had my brothers, I had my parents, because it's difficult to do this on your own. And it really takes a village to um, help and educate and create all of this awareness. But yeah, education is definitely why I'm in it is because of Hunter and to help others and Again, don't be afraid to go observe your child. Don't be afraid to go get a diagnosis. You know, you want to be able to get all of your ducks in a row so you can be prepared to give your child the best education possible. And there are a lot of good um, public school programs. And I know where I am, you know, we have created programs to bring students back into district because we are able to have the resources now and provide the same as these out of district placements are providing. So Jen, I just want to jump in because um, it wasn't just that you put Hunter in school and everything was great and it started to, to work and you saw benefits. Yeah. I think it's important to understand what was that struggle um, with the school systems 
And and what did you have to do to make sure as an advocate for your son, he got the proper education? Yeah, and, and that's a good point, Joe. Um, you know, it wasn't just he was in school and, you know, it was all great. Um, we felt that he wasn't getting the proper education. And so what we did was we ended up hiring a, an attorney. We hired professionals to take a look at the program, to see if it's appropriate, and to try to get him out of district at the time. Um, it cost, well, let's say his college education was paid for early on, um, but he did end up going to a private school um, back then, and it was the best thing that we could have done. And he received the appropriate um, things that he needed in order to succeed. They knew how to use augmentative communication. Um, they knew how to put visual supports in place. They knew to give him a schedule and to structure him where, you know, the public school at that time was not prepared or was, or I, I don't want to say prepared, but let's say they, they didn't have the resources and the education to create a program that was going to be suitable at that time. So we did end up um, at that time um, hiring all these professionals. We did have to um, sell our home to be able to afford the attorney fees. And um, we ended up renting for a few years to get ourselves back on our feet. And um, I would do it all over again. Jen, thanks, thanks for yeah. Thanks for sharing. Nina, what about you? What, what are your thoughts? I mean, I think you bring also an interesting perspective being in Africa, now in Dubai. Can you just speak to, you know, maybe the challenges, the recommendations, and, and what you've done about it? Yes, yeah, so I was, like I was saying earlier, um, Louis studied school in Africa where uh, there's so much to be done in terms of autism, very little awareness and resources to provide to those, to people and children living with autism, having autism. And uh, so one of the first challenges that we faced as parents was the limited children. And once we were finding these schools that claim to be inclusive, in reality, nothing was really being done. They were more um, uh, interested in the business aspect because when a child's special needs, the school fees will be higher. And which, okay, which is, which we can discuss about, but anyway, um, I, we just realized that there was very, teachers didn't have any clue or any knowledge of what they were getting themselves into. For example, there's a day when my son had a meltdown and the director, one of the directors of the school called me and said, uh, Louis, I think uh, you gave him you gave him sugar this morning. What did you give him? Did you give him sugar? He's having a meltdown. And actually, she didn't even use the word meltdown. She used the, the, the word tantrum, which is two different things. So 
our biggest challenge was really the, uh, the, the, the absence of the poor knowledge of what the schools who claimed that they were inclusive were getting themselves into. And then most of the teachers um, will not have the, to do what was required in order to help these kids grow at the pace and become and be the child that they were supposed to be. And uh, but everything was not just very sad and bad. I can I can tell the the beautiful story is one of the 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 the, the biggest challenge also that I have experience whether it is in Africa where I used to live or in Dubai where I am now is that education and I will always say it, it is a no school is give is 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 given us is doing us a favor by accepting our children. This is not the right. Now we are very much aware that in order to include our children, there must be some structure in place, some and and, and a whole organization that meet, that needs to be put in place. But no school is doing us a favor. I'm talking I'm talking inclusive. You are not doing us a favor by accepting our kids. It is their rights. Now, if you don't have, if you don't know to include them or how to help them now that's another topic that we should discuss about and that we should seek solution for so that's my big anger when somebody when uh, when i have the director telling me i am doing you a favor because your son is going to be accepted in this and uh, like i was saying everything was not just bad um before we left kenya we found that school who saw the need needs to be included and to be schooled um so they accepted children with special needs as long as ep and an external therapist that will work with the teacher to build uh, a program catered to the child with special needs. We've been doing with Louis, and it has worked very well. And now we are in Dubai, and um, I can tell you that although it's very advanced compared to Kenya, it is still the same challenge. In a school that really understand what they are doing who has compassion for our children and who respect their, their rights it is absolutely as of to date but i've been in dubai for only one year so i so it's, i'm still in the research process but the challenge remains the same nina in terms yeah. of you know louis education how long or when was it before you started to see really the real positives of progress um, from Louis and, and how many different schools did it take before you got to that point where you felt that this school is meeting the needs that we want to see? Well, in through, in seven years, he, he, he changed schools three times. So that's already 
an education that there's a challenge uh, somewhere. Now, um, the last school he attended a year ago was the one that didn't have, was honest enough to tell us, we don't have the means, but we have the heart. Tell us what we can do. Give us the means. Let's work together, and then we can we can we, we can find we can find that will help Louis, and that's what we did. So that school um, was working with who was outsourced, and Louis was also having a learning support teacher working close the, the three of them the four of us me the teacher the learning support uh, teacher and the therapist we were working together building his iep and would see progress being um, manifested in louis life when it comes to school one of the similarities i see here you know between what what Jen went through and what you went through, one in the United States, one in Kenya, is that, as you both have said, you are both the parents are part of the solution and the advocacy team and the education team. Oh, yes. As a listener here, what I'm hearing, when I'm hearing Jen and Nina explaining the journey especially through education, it's not cheap, right? So if you think mm -hmm. about what I'm hearing is the parent has to be involved, right? you got to fight to have the school, um, you, know, you have to fight to have the appropriate uh, support for the children, but it is costly, right? So can you speak to, I'm just, and, and that's maybe a little off the cuff, but I'm just thinking, if you think, can you speak to that parent who's just about to go to get into this journey, what would be some recommendations you might have around where to find the support, how to think, how to get, you know, the, the resources and what are the best ways to kind of get the support needed in order to really appropriately support your child? And maybe I'll pass it to Jen first. Well, I think, you know, I think the first thing is that, you know, parents have rights, you know, so, the first thing that I would do is, is I would go in and observe yourself. You know, you can also, there are also in a cheaper way, a more inexpensive way would be to, there are people that are advocates that can help you advocate and go to the school and be that person as a support person for you. Um, I'm not sure how costly that is. I think it's less costly, but um, I think, you know, if, in order to really see what's going on and to make sure that the parent is educated is to go in and observe. Observe, make sure those things that you're looking for in a program um, are there. Now, I'm speaking for <clears throat> more of the children that are lower level, I hate to use that word, um, nonverbal, probably more behavioral. You need to make sure that one, there's visual supports. Two, there's structure. Three, positive reinforcement. Four, is there a behavior plan in place? Um, 
five, are they using token boards? Um, all of those core things are so important. Are there timers? So this child knows there's a beginning and an ending point. Um, those would be the things that would be key in a program when you're looking for all for all the spectrum, really. Um, you know, I think that is there a BCBA on staff? Um, are there one-to-one -one paraprofessionals or RBTs, which are registered behavioral technicians within the classroom? Um, what is the ratio from student to adults? Is there community outings to help carry over? Is there a life skill component involved with functional academics? So those are just some key points that I would recommend to look into when looking at a program for your child. Thanks, Jen. Nina, any, any additional thoughts to that point? And then Joel, I'll pass it back to you. Well, when it comes to where to look for resources, again, if there is an African parent who is listening right now, the first resource is the first resource you, unfortunately, at first. One, you're going to have, thank God, internet works very well in Africa. So one, um, you're going to have to educate yourself on what is possible, what are the solutions for your child. Now, uh, we also need to be careful on, when it comes to online information because sometimes there are good and bad information. But well, that's what I did at first, first of all, because the resources are not as available, I believe, as in the U.S. when it comes to Africa. Then once you do that, uh, you need to also find out if there is a community, uh, whether online or if there's if there are non-profit organizations uh, that can help you gather the information that you need, the help that you need, the resources to help your child. And basically, um, uh, based on my experience, I've almost I've knocked to a lot of doors in order to find the appropriate therapist, the appropriate program, the appropriate um, environment place where my child could go and have some and have, for example, swimming classes just to give him uh, a, um, a, a life that he deserved. So that would be my, uh, my, my, my advice for parents. Also, believe in the gift that each one of us have, which is the gut and the instinct we spoke earlier about. We should have, we should have uh, confidence in us enough to know our child and to have the last word when it comes to decision that needs to be taken and not just give the whole authority with all the respect that I have for teachers, specialists, and and, and, and all the caretakers. One thing I want to touch base on is we've talked a lot about education so far, but there are a lot more challenges than just the education. I think from a society standpoint, it is not easy. It is hard work, what both of you have done and are doing, just in terms of everyday things like going out to eat or trips or travel. I mean, there are challenges and, and 
and things that you you you've had to give up um, over the years. And I, I want to, I guess, help people understand, you know, how should people react? What are some of the things that, you know, going into even just a restaurant, what are the things you think about and challenges you prepare for that, you know, maybe most of us don't think about? And Jen, I'll start with you on that. Yeah, I mean, that's a that's a really great point. I think, you know, taking Hunter out to eat, um, you know, I, I, he does better in numbers. You know, if it's just me, I think, you know, he likes to take advantage of me a little bit. But if it's myself and his sister, um, it's it's a little bit different because I'll walk into a restaurant, I'll bring the reinforcers that I need, whether it's, you know, an outside drink from, you know, somewhere or, you know, some of his favorite snacks to kind of get us into the transition of going to a restaurant. And I right away try to beeline for the booth in the corner, <laughs> you know, and, um, you know, it's been successful. And, and I think that's the key is like setting them up for success. Can it be anxiety driven at times? Absolutely. Because Hunter's a kid that's, you know, very impulsive and you kind of, he's loving, he's caring, but he does have that impulsivity. You kind of don't know, you know, waiting can be hard, you know, if he wants more of something, you know, and he requests it on his device, um, you know, there's that waiting period of time you need to wait. Um, you know, things don't, we're not at the house. Things don't just, you know, you don't just ask and receive right away um, with that instant gratification. But yeah, it can be tricky, but I find for me the best success is to have that support system in place when you go out into the community in places, if your child displays behaviors. Um, and also the key is, is you want to set it up for success. It's not about how long you're going to be somewhere. It's about setting it up for that success for that child. So even if it's walking into a restaurant and walking out, that's successful. It, it might be successful for another family, you know, maybe sitting and just having a drink and ordering a drink and being able to sit for that length of time and then leave. So it's about making it successful for that child. Every child is different. It's a spectrum disorder. Um, Hunter does have some behavior, so it can be tricky at times. Um, I am always on my A game when I have Hunter. And Nina, what about for you in terms of, you know, the experiences that you've had or or have with going outside the home into other places? Well, luckily, um, going outside is not as challenging as it used to be when he was younger. Like, for example, going, Louis is, uh, Ricky stuff, he's a good eater, so he loves going to, to restaurants. Uh, to it's him. like his uncle. <laughs> I mean, he, he's a very good eater, so going there, uh, even waiting online is to wait for a booth, is, it, it's not a problem at all. Uh, we just need to be careful because if, if he's hungry and, and he walks across a table that has, for example, French fries, you just pick one. So these are the things that we need to be careful about. And when it happens, I, I will excuse myself and explain that, you know, I explain the condition, but going out isn't, um, right now when we thank God for that, it's not, it's not a, a challenge. Uh, but, um, one of the things where, 
um, it is challenging and uh, it's more when it comes to use uh, the, the, the toilet, the toilet, the washroom, uh, in the, in malls. Like Louis is totally toilet, toilet trained, but I cannot let him use the men's washroom alone. Simply because if he needs help, he will, he will request help to a total stranger. And for obvious reason, I cannot let that happen. So I have to be with him. So what is happening is that I don't know how it is in the U.S. now, but uh, I know that in Dubai, for example, and even Nairobi, in malls, they have dedicated toilets for people with special needs, but it, it's going to be either in the female section or in the male section. But now I have a 13-year-old boy who is almost 5'10", even a bit taller, and then I am entering in the woman's toilet, although I'm directing him to the de- to the toilet um, uh, designed for people with disability, but I will always have this look. So what I have to do is I have I always have to explain to people, look, this is my son, um, this is the condition, that's why he's with me in the woman's in the woman's um, in the woman's section. So this is something a bit frustrating, not a bit very frustrating because you have those look and you you feel like. You have to always explain. And just recently, there was even an incident in Dubai uh, where a security woman strongly requested that Louis should just go to the men's washroom toilet. And I've, I've tried to explain to her. I even showed the disability card and she didn't want to listen to anything. So I was so frustrated that I, that I told her, just call the police then. Because why do you think... An adult mother will take her teenager son in woman's toilet if there was not a condition or or if there was not a good reason. Tell me why. So yeah, these are the kind of um, this is the most challenging part that I have with Louis. Uh, even when I have to buy clothes for him and I, if I want him to to try it on, we have to go to the female section and I and I have to explain or I will have this look and. Here I am explaining and explaining why this is happening. So it's a bit challenging. And um, having said that, I even I went to one of the. I, okay, I'm I can, I'm gonna name them all. I went to more of the Emirates, and I hope they're listening to me. I went and I and I and I and I and I and I told them they, they should make separate toilets because I am tired of almost having to explain myself or even to argue about my son's condition because people don't always get it so that's that's the um, the most challenging part that i have when we are going out with louis i would like to i would like to add to that if i could because i you know i think i think when it comes to autism it's autism doesn't have a look you know the uh, our boys are beautiful you look at them you would think there's nothing you know, that that he had a disability when you look at them. Um, You know, you could look at Hunter in pictures. And I think people on the outside look at our kids and they look perfectly fine. You know, they're, they're not ambulatory. They're not, you know, in a wheelchair. They don't have um, a look like they, they have um, Down syndrome. They look perfectly capable 
And I think that's where it gets challenging, but they don't understand all the underlying, you know, challenges that, you know, that we go through because the bathroom is also a challenge here, but I'm at a point where I bring Hunter into the ladies room because he cannot go in by himself. And um, if anyone has a problem with it, let them have a problem with it. And, you <laughs> yeah. know, I, I look at it now as like, you know what, we're creating awareness. This is, this is our life. This is who he is. This is who we are. And um, nobody's going to stop us now. Yep. Correct. I got a question for both of you, because um, this is actually pretty powerful what I'm hearing. What can we do? So like how I love I love Autism Awareness Month, right? So this is going to be a great month to drive awareness. But I'm just thinking like how what are other means that people that are listening here should educate themselves on how to behave, how to be inclusive, how to because, you know, the flip side, they don't really teach you about that at all anywhere. So where, like, what is your recommendation on anyone who's listening, who wants to learn, who wants to to help, who wants to know how to behave when they're in these, you know, situations? What what would you recommend? Where do you recommend we go? Be a good human. Jen, you know? I'm going to have to say amen to that. Just be a human being, period. <laughs> Be a good human. I think that, you know, instead of staring, instead of thinking they have, you know, it's a parent, a parenting problem. I think, you know, they need to, to look at is like maybe offer a helping hand. You know, do you need help? Um, how old is your son? Just be human. Show yes. some empathy. Yeah. It could be you. Right. You could be the parent. This could be your child. This could be your nephew. We, we, and, and, right. And just like Nina said, we didn't expect our lives to be challenging in this way. You know, you, it could happen. Like you said, it could happen to anyone. Yep. And Jen, you, you just brought this up. We didn't expect our lives to be this way. And you turned us all on to a, a poem by Emily Kingsley. Welcome to Holland. Yes. Yeah. Um, that is one of the the poems that I think that really says it all. And it's not just for autism, but it's with any kind of um, challenging situations that you have with children with disabilities. And I think uh, it really hits home. And, you know, one thing, and I know Nina and I have spoken about this, is that, you know, our children you know, with the challenges that we face and continue to face and the advocacy that we continue to do is that they have kept us grounded and oh, have shown us what is important. And although that, you know, they have autism, it doesn't mean that they're not a child first. So I think, you know, we need to treat them with dignity, child first, autism second. And I, I, I just also want to um, reiterate this too, just to go back real quick to the education part, portion of what we were speaking about. I think it's important for parents to know it's not the importance of where it takes place, but what is taking place in the program? And I just wanted to drive that home as well. Correct. 
and and you know, in just describing this poem, um, I'll give a, a quick synopsis, but I think it's something everyone should read. It's a very quick read, but it talks about a parent who was supposed to go to Italy and ends up going to Holland. And Holland wasn't on their agenda when they initially booked their trip. And when they get back and everyone talks about how great Italy was, but they went to Holland. And at the end of the day, they found that they had an amazing experience in Holland. And right. bringing it back to what you guys have, have been through and seen and done, the love between yourselves and your families and your children is is as great or greater than what others experience and because your your trip to Italy wasn't as planned you still are having an amazing time while there's differences and challenges you must face those are part of the program and part of what what makes it great you're absolutely yes. right and it's part of the journey is what it is. So that if I can, can I add something? Of course. Well, I think life in general, um, the way we plan our lives in general, even living even autism aside, we can plan today to go to Paris and then for some reason we end up in Dubai. <laughs> So, <laughs> so that's just how life goes. That's just how life is. And 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 yes, it's challenging to have a child with disability, but there's so much, so much beauty in it. And if I had, I mean, I don't even regret it. Um, we've learned so much about what a human being is, how to respect, how to love um, every single human being. My son is the most really genuine and loving boy that I know. He loves everyone. He doesn't know what discrimination is. He doesn't know the difference between tall, short, white, black, yellow. He generally loves everyone. And, 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 and he has shown us unconditional love humility, uh, empathy, and I wouldn't trade him in, I wouldn't trade him at all. He is, and he is the best gift that I had received. And um, yes, it's challenging, but I think out of it, it made us really better human being. And just to say what Jen was, was saying earlier, um, I think if you want to become a good human being, and please don't take it as a curse. I wish you to have a child on the autism spectrum or to have a relative on the autism spectrum. It definitely will make you a better human being because these children, these people are just wonderful. Yeah. I, I just want to quickly add to that as well. And I just want to say that, you know, with my experience with Hunter, that in his uh, short 25 years of life, this child has touched more people in his lifetime than I ever will. Mm -hmm. And Oh, I can totally relate to that, Jane. Totally. <laughs> well, I'll say this, um, is that if it weren't for the experience that both Jen and Nina have had, you wouldn't necessarily, maybe you would be on a different scale, but this has 
drove you both to your professions, your volunteerism, your advocacy on autism awareness, and really has helped many more people than you probably are even aware of in terms of, you know, bringing this awareness to people and bringing help to people. You know, I look at Nina, you and creating Yoni and this nonprofit to help thousands and thousands of people who maybe didn't have that resource before. And, you know, the reason this exists is because of Louis, right? And your experiences. And so what a gift. Um, And then I look at Jen and, you know, what Jen has done in teaching children with autisms um, for, you know, the better part of her life. Um, and I will give another plug again as being named teacher of the year for the work you've done with that. You know, that's a gift that Hunter has given you. And so I think when you look at the overall picture here is your your children have really brought a gift to many others that may not have been there if they were not autistic. You may not have been able to provide this nonprofit and Jen, you know, making sure you're, you're advocating for all your students. Well, we are, we are blessed to have them. We are the one benefiting of having, yeah, it's, it's, know, it's actually, you know, right. It's also, it's made us who we are. It's helped make us who we are today as well. You know, um, the, the impact that they've had on us. I mean, like Nina said, I mean, wouldn't trade him for the world. He keeps me grounded. He keeps me advocating. You know, he keeps me on my toes. He keeps me thin. (laughs) (laughs) Well, well, I want to, I want to thank you both. Fido and I want to thank you both. It was a pleasure having you both here. We thought it would be great to have really a perspective across the globe of really autism awareness and and where people can go and what they can think about and you know for both those who might be entering into this as new parents or those who are going through it and even those who are just observers on the outside to be able to understand really what autism is and and how people can can help. And, you know, for those who are interested um, to look up Nina's nonprofit, it is neone.info, and that's N-I-O-N-E dot info, I-N-F-O. Um, and you can find a ton of information um, about the nonprofit and the great things, Nina, that you are doing and your missions and visions um, within the, the world of autism spectrum spectrum disorder. And we thank you both. Fido, any last words that you have? No, I, I think just echoing what you said, again, I want to say thank Jen and Nina. I, you know, my goal in the beginning of the call was to learn. And I'll tell you, uh, in the, the past hour we spent together has been full of learning, um, still thinking and wondering how I can better help. And uh, really excited to just learn as we enter this Autism Awareness Month, um, how we can all individually help, uh, you know, children with autism. Um, so thank you for that. And thank you, Joe, as well, obviously, for continuing doing what you do, my friend. <laughs> I appreciate it. 
Well, Jen, Nina, thank you so much for joining us today. We appreciate thank it. Thank you so, so much. Thank Thanks you. Thanks, you. Thanks for listening. For more information about this podcast or the Limitless ARG, please reach out to Joe Balin directly. This podcast has been a production of BD. BD and the BD logo are trademarks of Becton Dickinson & Company or its affiliates. Copyright 2023. All rights reserved.